Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. Surely he has taught us to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. Those are just some of the powerful words that are sung in the beautiful Christmas carol, O Holy Night, a song all about the night of our dear Savior's birth and all that that means for us and for all the earth. But what exactly is a gospel of peace? After all, given the world as it is today, peace on earth seems a nearly impossible dream. Well, that's the subject of today's message, which is drawn from those words of the carol, and part of our current sermon series on the way to the holy night. This message is entitled, A Gospel of Peace, and it's based on Isaiah chapter 11, 1 to 10, and Romans 15, verses 4 to 13. Along the edge of our backyard at the parsonage is this fairly straight row of four or five very small pine trees. Now, I don't know if those trees had been intentionally planted there, either maybe for by our neighbor for a bit of a buffer or perhaps one of the previous residents of our home planted them. Or for that matter, if they're simply there by virtue of nature's own gracious silviculture. But I gotta tell you that those little pine trees all in a perfect row, seems to be, have long been this endless source of fascination for me. For you see, when we moved into that parsonage about seven and a half years ago now, those pine trees were just the tiniest of saplings barely poking themselves out of the soil. And I have been watching them grow ever since. And you know, the thing is, friends, by my reckoning, not a single one of those trees should even exist, much less continue as it has to grow taller and stronger from year to year. To begin with, if you've ever been out back there, you know that the soil really isn't all that great in that particular part of the yard. Uh, that the particular spot where they grow is, it doesn't get a whole lot of sunshine. We are barely able to make grass grow because it's usually overrun by moss. And not to mention that it is surrounded by a, a fair number of other trees and the random incursion of invasive plant species. In other words, there's a lot of weeds from time to time. <laughs> Moreover, when it rains to excess around here, especially when the snow melts in the spring, that whole area floods quickly and fully. And, and also, I can personally vouch for the fact that over those seven and a half years, those little trees have, however unintentionally, have nonetheless pretty much been mowed, raked, and leaf blown to within an inch of their very lives. <laughs> Simply put, there is not a single reason that any of those little pine trees should even have survived this long, given everything they had been through. But in fact, they have thrived. And much to my surprise, continued surprise, little by little by little, they just keep right on growing. 
And yeah, I have to confess something here. I do find myself looking at those trees and wondering a bit about what they're going to look like in another, say, 10 or 20 or even 50 years. Because if those trees are growing this well now, even as they have been forced as they have through all kinds of adversity and, and everything else you can name, just imagine how tall, how strong they're going to be when in their fullness they become all that God has created them to be. I know, life being what it is, I might not see it come to pass, but I find some joy and comfort in knowing that someone will. And when that moment comes, when it happens, won't it be amazing? Well, friends, I have been reminded of those pine trees this week as I have been thinking about the opening verse of our Old Testament text for this morning from the 11th chapter of Isaiah. A familiar passage, one that is read very often during these weeks of Advent. A shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. I love that verse, and for a whole lot of reasons. First of all, on the face of it, it's an image not unfamiliar to those of us who dwell in this part of the world. We've all seen this. Tiny seedling pushing out into the sunlight through a twisted rubble of blown down trees out deep in the woods. Or else a, a plant that has somehow managed to wind in and out of the crevices of, of old stone fences and glacial rocks. Isaiah's image here of a green shoot sprouting out of an old dead tree stump paints the perfect picture of life, don't you think? Life defiantly carrying on amidst all manner of adversity. And it represents the good news of a promise that's made and how that promise will be in due season fulfilled. But that's not all. As Isaiah puts forth that vision, there's much more to say about it. Isaiah then continues on with those beautiful and oh-so-familiar images of, of wolves living with lambs, bear and, and cows eating side by side, the, the calf and the lion and the fatling together with a little child leading them. The same child, incidentally, who can now safely play around venomous snakes. First, it's a sapling coming through the stump, and now it's that vision that's long been referred to as the peaceable kingdom. It's the stuff of many a Christmas card. It's, it's familiar to our ears. It is it's something that warms our hearts to hear about. But all of that having been said, let's be a little honest here. As we understand nature's way, friends, it's also a pretty unlikely vision, right? Let's face it, in this real world in which we live, predators and prey generally do not coexist all that well. Lions are anything but vegetarian, and by and large, there's no toddler who has ever or would ever be allowed to play over the hole of an asp. 
I want to quote the Reverend Dr. Janet Hunt here, a Lutheran pastor, blogger out of Illinois. She writes that the truth is that in Isaiah's vision, the stakes are way too high. The consequences too great. It is the very nature, she says, of the snake to strike, the wolf to feast, the lion to enjoy a regular meal of red meat. Like it or not, it is the natural order of things for the menagerie that Isaiah describes. It's one thing, after all, for us to suggest that there might be a fresh branch or two growing out of a composting stump, bringing forth at least a modicum of hope amidst adversity. But a world where life should utterly prevail against any kind of possible peril? To suggest that, that there should be a triumph over the so-called natural order of things that regularly seems to work against its survival? To live in a world that has been so radically upended that love and care is the first order of things? Well, that, that's just the gospel. Which, by the way, by the very definition of the word, is good news indeed. Or as is expressed in the words of the song, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love. And his gospel is peace. Actually, you know, there's much more to this vision of a peaceable kingdom that Isaiah presents than, than just this idea of lions and lambs sharing the same living space. And it begins with realizing that just prior to where Lisa started reading this morning, we're told that God, with terrifying power, mind you, will have just cut down the tallest of trees and that the lofty will all be made low. In that 10th chapter, Isaiah writes that the Lord will hack down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon with its majestic trees will fall. Which, it's interesting that we never read those verses prior uh, to the 11th chapter, because immediately we're given some context for the kind of natural growth that's described in what we've read today. But I also have to tell you there's even much more going on than simply that. You have to look at this from a historical context, too. You see, uh, in terms of Israel's history, at this point the nation of Israel had already been split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which had been captured by the Assyrians, and the southern kingdom of Judah, which had been defeated by the Babylonians and the people there taken into captivity. You hear about the Babylonian exile? Well, that's it. Now, for the most part, both Israel and Judah were now being led by ineffective and often corrupt leaders. Any sense of equity amongst the people and any kind of justice, if you could even call it that, was selective, arbitrary at best. And I hasten to add here 
that through all of this, there was very little conviction towards any sort of personal righteousness. And there was very little commitment to faith or to worship. For as we read again and again throughout these uh, chapters of the Old Testament, the people had often and repeatedly turned from the Lord. So it was for God's people a time in which there was no true awareness of God's shalom. That is the whole peace of God. And as I've often explained it here, when we talk about shalom, we're not merely referring here to just the absence of war, but also the wholeness of life and living. We're we're talking about health and prosperity and companionship and joy and on and on and on it goes. That is the whole peace of God. And without it, the people were sort of mired in this, this time and experience of hopelessness and deep despair. So knowing all that makes it all the more amazing that it is in the midst of this very kind of agony and hopelessness and despair with the nation of Judah left in ruins, the lands and the forests quite literally devastated and gone, that Isaiah's vision is proclaimed. This soaring, wonderful vision of what God was just about to do. This 11th chapter, you see, represents the sure and certain promise of a bright future for Israel and of true and lasting peace. And it's a promise, as you'll recall, as Lisa read the passage, that starts with a ruler, a king, one on whom the Spirit of the Lord shall rest, and one who would most certainly be of the house and lineage of David. Isaiah says he will have the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and of might, of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. With righteousness, Isaiah says, he shall judge the poor. And as the message goes on to translate it, He'll judge the needy by what is right. He'll render decisions on earth's poor with justice. And I love this part. Each morning he'll pull on sturdy work clothes and boots and build righteousness and faithfulness for the land. i got to love that. I just can picture that right now. He will be Israel's true Messiah. The one who, as Isaiah reports elsewhere, shall be named Emmanuel which, yes, means God is with us. Emmanuel, who alone will be the one who is able to bring forth this impossible possibility of a peaceable kingdom to the world. In him, in this Messiah, in this Emmanuel, the vision of the earth being full of the knowledge of the Lord will in due season become a reality. So what we are told in this amazing passage, what we are promised, is that in the end, life and true peace is going to prevail.
course, we're still waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. But then I didn't need to tell you that, did I? Fact is that you and I live in a world that's far removed from the vision of a peaceable kingdom. We dwell in the midst of a time where on any given day, there's news of yet another shooting, another act of terror, another episode of abuse and degradation, another example of neglect for the least and lowest of this world, and yet another instance of those who would employ the rhetoric of love only to justify attitudes and behaviors that are rife with anger and hatred. Isaiah's vision of the world, you see, this vision of dwelling in the true and living knowledge of the Lord, remains to us as hopeful as it is glorious. But the sad truth of it is, is that it just doesn't exist in our reality. Or at least it doesn't exist yet. And I would submit to you that that's kind of the point of the Advent season, isn't it? It's our understanding, our lamentation, if you will, that all that we hope for hasn't happened in this world yet. But nonetheless, we continue our hope-filled proclamation that it will happen and it'll happen in due season because the Lord has promised it to be so. And so we wait for it. We watch for signs of its coming and we get ourselves and our world ready for it. That's what makes us Advent people and not just the four weeks before Christmas. We are Advent people with an inner knowledge that the reality we are experiencing all around us is not the final reality of things. I think about this and I'm always reminded of a wonderful piece that was written some years ago for the Christmas season by Garrison Keillor, a Prairie Home Companion fame, in which he lamented the sorry state of the world, but then added that faith Faith is now more important than ever. What else will do except faith in such a cynical, corrupt time, Keeler asks. When the country goes temporarily to the dogs, he writes, cats must learn to be circumspect. To walk on fences, to sleep in trees, and above all, have faith that all this woofing they're hearing is not the last word. I gotta say, I love that quote. And it fits because as Advent people, we faithfully affirm that the current realities we see and hear all around us, all the tragic woofing of warfare and hatred and rampant injustice is not the last word. But rather as Christians, as people of faith, as believers, we proclaim boldly and joyfully that the final word belongs to God. And it belongs to God in the person of Jesus Christ, the one who has truly taught us that we are to love one another. The one whose law is love. And the one whose gospel is peace. 
a whole peace. It's also a reminder to us, I think, as we heard in the epistle reading this morning from Romans, that since by steadfastness and the encouragement of scriptures we have hope, it follows that we should live out of that same steadfastness and encouragement, living in harmony with one another, living in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together we may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, if his law is love and his gospel is peace, so it should be ours as well. Seeking to live our lives with a spirit of true wisdom and understanding, letting the decisions we make for ourselves and our world be girded with the benefit of good counsel and with loving strength, and letting our first priority be to welcome one another no matter who that other happens to be, as we ourselves have been welcomed peaceably with all the wholeness of God's peace and of his grace and ever and always after the manner of a child. In one sense, I suppose it all might seem like kind of an inconsequential effort when you measure it against the overwhelming nature of all the world's harsh realities. But then again, as we've noticed in the Advent candles, every newly lit candle has just that much more light into the room. Likewise, as you and I seek an anticipation of Christ's coming to live unto the gospel of peace, suddenly we start to experience how the old realities will give way to a new and living vision, a marvelous and, and miraculous foretaste of how the future is going to be by God's plan. See, that makes all the difference as we move forward. Because then we live as if. We live as if that vision has already come to pass until that blessed moment of triumph when it does. And let me tell you something, friends. When that moment comes, when it happens, you might be there to see it, maybe not. But when it does, it'll be amazing. Beloved, as our Advent waiting continues and as we make our way ever closer to the holy night of Bethlehem, let our prayer be the same of that which Paul himself prayed as a blessing unto the Christians at Rome. May the God of hope fill us all with joy and peace in believing so that we may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And always, 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 May our thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, A Gospel of Peace. It's part of our current sermon series, On the Way to the Holy Night, and it was recorded during our December 8th service of worship at East Congregational Church. Well, especially now that the Advent and Christmas seasons have begun, we'd love to have you be a part of our merry and meaningful celebration at East Church. We gather for worship each and every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road in Concord, New Hampshire.
And by the way, if you're planning ahead, we'll also be gathering for a candlelight service of worship on Christmas Eve, beginning at 7 p.m. We'd invite you and yours to celebrate with us at East Church, and I'd love to wish you a Merry Christmas in person. That brings us to the end of another episode of Love to Tell the Story. This is Michael Lowry. I thank you for listening, and until next time, may God bless you with a great day. Talk to you soon.